This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Grace, good morning to all of you again, and a Happy New Year if you weren't here uh, last Lord's Day. Welcome again to any who are visiting Please remain standing, and if you have a copy of God's Word with you, you can open to the book of Galatians. After a a month hiatus for the holidays, we're back to the book of Galatians in chapter 2. You'll find that on page 973 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, Galatians chapter 2. This morning, really just two verses, verses 15 and 16. But since it's been a month, we'll begin reading at verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, page 973. Let's hear the word of the Lord. But when Cephas, that's Peter's Aramaic name, came to Antioch, I, that's Paul, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, Live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. May God bless it to our hearts as we start this new year together. Lord. What profound words, Lord. Apart from, Lord, your grace and mercy to us, we will not understand them. We will not receive them. We won't embrace them, Lord. Give us, dear God, by your gift and your love for your people, Lord, the work of the Holy Spirit in each of our minds and hearts. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, folks. Well, it's great to get back to the book of Galatians after a couple months, and Paul has now arrived at the very heart of this letter. He's arrived at the very heart of the gospel that he preaches. Indeed, he's arrived at the very heart of the Christian faith. Some people think those verses 15 through 21, that those are the most important verses in the New Testament. And the reason is that in verses 15 and 16 in particular, Paul answers the question that one of Job's friends asked in the book of Job, chapter 9, and that is, how can any human being, Jew or Gentile, be set right before God? How can any human being be set right before a holy and just and perfect God? And Paul's answer Paul's answer is not by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And there it is. That is the heart of the gospel. We know it as the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now, I tell the folks in the first hour 
that's maybe some among us here who say, there he goes again. <laughs> this guy only has one string on that guitar. <laughs> He's always preaching the gospel, <laughs> always back to the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Dr. Evans, who was here in the first hour, said to me, yep, that's right. He said, I've told people in the past that I, I only have one sermon. I just preached it under 2,000 different titles. <laughs> that's right. And the same is true for Paul, you see. But right here, he gets right to the heart of it. And so I'm asking you, if, if you've heard this and you say, well, we go over this, I know this. Listen, don't tune out because you think you have it all together. <laughs> it's been said that the gospel is shallow enough for a babe to swim in it, deep enough for an elephant to drown in it. <laughs> and we all can go d uh, and dive much deeper into the gospel. And in the day and age in which we live, beloved, we must be very clear in our communication with others regarding what does the scripture mean by what it says. And so it behooves us and it behooves me to keep coming back to this and explaining it and you to be hearing it uh, and thinking about it clearly. Uh, Martin Luther, during the great uh, Protestant Reformation, he said that the doctrine of justification by faith alone is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. He went on to say this, most necessary it is therefore that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and here it is, and beat it into their heads continually. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> I'm here to beat it into our heads yet again. Listen, we say it in different ways, but I want you to understand, you and I never outgrow the gospel. We must move beyond the thinking that the gospel is a little formula or something that we say that gets us in a door and then that's it. The gospel not only brings us in, but the gospel is what we live under our whole Christian lives. Because the gospel, when you understand it, it shapes your worldview. It is the lens through which you evaluate all of life. It is the lens through which you relate to God and measure your relationship with Him. It's on the basis of the gospel. It is the lens through which you evaluate your relationship with others, be they Christians, your brethren, or be they unbelievers out outsiders, and the gospel is the lens through which you think about yourself, your identity, who you are as a Christian. So we never outgrow the gospel. Now some of you may be newer here to the church, or perhaps you came at Christmas, or uh, you, you, you just recently, or even you're, you're visiting today, and maybe some of our young people also feel this way, and that is that these are just big religious words. You guys, that, that's all Christian lingo and the language is too technical. Please don't tune out because you think it's just a bunch of religious words or you might think, what does these words have to do with my everyday life? If you stay tuned and you also keep coming back and listen carefully, you're gonna see that justification by faith alone has everything to do with your troubles and your life. <laughs> has everything to do with every day. And it begins with your relationship with God. Uh, when a person comes to understand how he or she could stand safely before the law of God, now think of what I just said, stand safely before the law of God, all of its commandments, all of its demands for righteousness with God as the judge, how you can come to stand safely before that and face no consequences, no condemnation, no wrath for your sin or sinfulness. And, and face no demands for righteous deeds undone by you your whole life. When you can come to understand that all of that can be yours by the gracious gift of a loving God, that makes a huge difference. That sets you free. It sets your conscience free from a life of trying to merit or earn the love of God. So that's the very first thing that you need to understand. But secondly, the gospel and the doctrine of justification by Faith alone also sets us free, not only from the law of God as a, as, as a standard that we'll never measure up to, but also sets us free 
from the standards that we place on ourselves, from the standards that others place on us, uh, churches and families, when we realize that we don't need to live up to those things to have value, to be someone, to be loved by God, to have identity in Christ. Listen, I know many a person myself included it's easy to fall into this even as a christian you begin to live according to the certain standards of a group right we talked about that's what happened in in galatia that the group dynamics has a powerful influence and and, and we come at times in our life when we when we we, we, when we're trying to live up to what we have placed on ourselves that what would be successful, what would be the measure of success or what our family places on or others who pressure us about what would, what would be the, the measuring rod for success. And when we live like that, we're on another performance treadmill, not, no, not before God, but before others and before our own conscience. And that only leads to trouble. When it can lead to pride, first of all, when things are going good and you are living up to your own standards, your little litmus test, it can lead to pride. And where does pride lead? Pride leads to, to self-righteousness. What does self-righteous need lead to? It leads to this idea that you think you're morally superior than others. And that breaks down relationships. And then it can, it can lead to all sorts of emotional struggles when it isn't going good, when you aren't living up to the, the standards of others, the group, or, or your own standards. It leads to all sorts of, 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 of depression. It can lead to feeling embittered. What am I talking about? Well, when you see other people who outdo you. That's what I'm talking about. When we see, you see uh, people who outperform you on your very list. <laughs> And you look at their photos in Pinterest or Facebook and they had that glorious celebration and there's their new house and look where they get to go on vacation and look at how beautiful their wedding was and look at this, look at that. When you see all that, do you always just feel beautiful, rejoicing love for them? <laughs> mm, probably not. <laughs> and what happens if they've outperformed us and we're living by that litmus test of what is really success? You might become embittered. You might feel threatened. You might feel like a failure. You might become disheartened, you see. But the doctrine of justification by faith alone can set you free from that as well if you learn to preach the gospel to yourself and live under that truth, you see. How is it? What do you mean? Where's the, here's the logic of it. Here's how it works. If you know that before God Almighty and before His standards in Christ, you are righteous, just, forgiven, loved, adopted forever, and nothing can change that. If you know that and you live with that, what, what do the opinions of others matter? Who cares that they have a bigger house now? And so you begin to live on a level of, uh, of, uh, of under the grace of God. I have all things I need. And so the doctrine of justification by faith is, is, is essential. And it frees us from bondage in our soul before God. And it frees us in bondage from our, our own litmus tests or the things that people are putting on us. So, so here I am again to the doctrine of justification by faith. And really, I have to say, it's my joy, it's my privilege to begin to unfold to you yet again this glorious truth. <laughs> and it's found here in verses 15, 16. That'll be our primary attention this morning. But let's ask ourselves, how did we get here to verse 15 and 16? What was happening? And some of you weren't here a month ago. Maybe you need to understand what was happening. The Apostle Paul preached the gospel to many Gentiles. That's non-Jewish people in a region of the world called Galatia. He saw many Gentiles come to faith in Jesus Christ. He also saw many Jews come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jews who believed that, yes, indeed, Jesus rose from the dead and he is the promised Messiah. And so they embraced him. But it wasn't too long. <laughs> 
It wasn't too long before some Jewish Christians, teachers whom we call Judaizers, arrived at Galatia and they infiltrated those churches and they had a different message. They, they too believed that faith in Jesus was necessary and good, but it wasn't good enough. They believed that to your faith in Christ, you must also add obedience to the law of Moses. Remember, for them it was incredibly hard as Jews to let go, to leave behind the law of Moses and the pomp and circumstance, the traditions, the customs. All those things were very difficult for them to leave behind. And so they began to impose them on these Gentile believers. And they said that in addition to faith in Christ, they contended that Gentile converts must add to their faith obedience to the law of Moses in order to be justified as they were. And so Paul wrote this letter. Paul wrote the book of Galatians to counteract that. And you remember how he began. He began by defending the fact that he can speak to it because he is a real apostle. He became an apostle not through some committee meeting, but he saw the risen Christ. And then he defends the gospel that he preaches. He says, I didn't learn it from from any apostles, I, I learned it from Jesus Christ. Through a revelation of God, that was chapter one if you remember. And then he said, eventually, eventually I did get to Jerusalem. And after preaching the gospel among Gentiles for a good 14 years, I arrived in Jerusalem and I set my message before uh, Peter, James, and John those who were called the pillars of the Jewish Christian church. And Paul says to the Galatians in this letter, he says, you know what they did? They added nothing to me. Remember that? They added nothing to my gospel is what Paul was saying. In fact, they affirmed that I was preaching the gospel and they extended the right hand of fellowship between, with me and all was good between Paul, Peter, and them and he went back down to continue his mission. But... But sometime later, we read in verse 12, certain men came from James, and they came down to Antioch, uh, Paul and Barnabas' home church, and Peter was there in that church in Antioch, and they came down from James, and, and somehow they were able to pressure Peter, to pressure him into withdrawing from interacting with the Gentiles, just like the law of Moses says, and not eating with the Gentiles, just like the law of Moses says. Somehow they pressured him so he withdrew and became to the point that even Barnabas, Paul's close friend, was influenced. And he also broke that, that fellowship, that bond. And what Peter was doing, Paul says, is you were, he was acting as a hypocrite. Now, why would he say he was being hypocritical at that point? Because Peter didn't change his message. He didn't change his doctrine. He was still saying we're saved by faith in Christ. But his actions, his actions was saying something else. His actions, his decisions to withdraw uh, was saying there's the haves and there's the have-nots. There's the in crowd and there's the outside crowd. And to your faith, you also be, have to be Jewish. And so Paul said, I opposed Peter to his face. I had to eventually confront him in, the front, in front of everybody. And what did he say to him? Verse 14, I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, wasn't in line with the gospel. I said to Cephas, that's Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, he's saying when no one was looking, well, you were loving it. You says, would you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew? How can you force, how can you compel is the word. How you can compel these Gentiles to live like Jews? You're a hypocrite, Peter. And that brings us here to verse 15. Verse 15, he says, we ourselves. Now you notice that verse 14, I don't know what your translation has. Um, verse 14 ended with a quotation mark. Does yours have that? Uh, our, our publishers are saying that they think what Paul was saying to Peter ended at verse 14 
And what he's saying now in verse 15, he's just saying it to the Galatians, but I mentioned more than a month ago uh, that there's good reasons to think that no, this is all, everything he's saying all the way through verse 21 is what he said to Peter and he's recounting it to the Galatians. So he's, he's still continuing the conversation. And so let's hear the flow. What he says, he says is this. Uh, I'll pick it up again in verse 14. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, Peter, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We, you and me, Peter, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know, we Jews, we Jewish Christians, Peter, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also, we Jews, also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. How? By faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Can you say it any more clearly? <laughs> any more times? <laughs> And so this is what he's saying to Peter. This is what he's saying to Peter, and now he's recounting for us here. Now, notice how he begins verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth, you and I, Peter, and not Gentile sinners. Well, what's that mean? Is, is Paul now? Is Paul now not living under the gospel? He's saying we're not sinners, but they are? <laughs> No, no, Paul wrote Romans. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To Timothy, Paul said, I am the chief of sinners when he wrote to him. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Here, here's what Paul is getting at. Gentile sinners, the Jews called the Gentiles sinners to emphasize what? That they were outside the family of God, the covenant people, they not only didn't obey the law of God and the sacrifices and all those things, but they didn't even have the law of God. Uh, but we, are, we're, we were born, he says, Jews. And by that he doesn't mean we're not sinners. What he's saying is, listen, we were born Jews and we have an advantage. There is an advantage to being born a Jew, Paul says in Romans. Romans 3 and in Romans uh, uh, 10, I think it is, where he says that, listen, to be born a Jew, you have certain advantages, which is what? Well, you're, you're a descendant of Abraham, therefore you have what? You, you have the covenant, you have the scriptures, you have the ceremonies, you have the prophets, you have all these things to point you to salvation, so that's an advantage. But even we, verse 16, we who are Jews by birth, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Why? Because you and I know we were never able to keep it all. You and I know it was a burden that we could never measure up to and so what did we do? What did we do? We also, we Jews also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be, to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. You see, being, there was an advantage in the sense that they were closer, let's say, to the resources that God might use to save them. But being a Jew and having all these advantages didn't mean that they weren't sinners and they didn't need redemption. No, no, it didn't mean that the law was given to them as a ladder that they would climb up in order to be accepted by God. He says, we of all people should know that we cannot be justified by works. And we came to Christ the same way they came to Christ. We came to salvation the same way the Gentiles do. And how is that? By faith in Jesus Christ. You know, John the Baptist said to the people when he was preaching, he said, don't any of you think you can call out and say, we're the sons of Abraham, so we don't need to repent. He said, God could call these stones and turn them into sons of Abraham. In other words, being right with God is not based on your bloodline. You know, I was, have, have you been raised maybe in a context where the Bible is read at your house or, or you went to church or you, you heard things about the gospel? There's an advantage in that, in a sense, right? In the sense that you might have a framework for where the gospel could come. Uh, for example, I was raised early on in the Roman Catholic Church. I, 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 you know, I quoted a scripture. I, I quoted um, 
the, the, the Apostles' Creed. I believed that there was a Holy Trinity. I heard that the name of Jesus. I, heard, I believed in, in, in a resurrection of the dead. I would say it. That is an advantage in the sense that it creates a substructure for me to then to hear the gospel. But I was not justified by that. In fact, I was confused by it. And so that's what Paul is getting at here with Peter. This is what he's saying to him. We all need redemption. We all need to be put right with God. And being a Jew is not the answer, Peter. And so that's what he explains in verse uh, 16. And when he says what he says there, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul touches on some terms. He uses words there that will be the key to the rest of this book. Listen to these words. Justified, works, law, faith. Paul will develop all of these things in the rest of the letter, you see. This is the heart and soul of the letter here. This is the gospel in a nutshell, and he'll be unfolding this. Three times he says not by works. Three times he says by faith right here. Uh, His key point then is what? His key point is the doctrine of justification. Justification comes through faith alone and not by works of the law. What were these false teachers doing? What every, every, every Christian cult would do is there was a synthesis. What does that mean? Combining two things. For them it was faith in Christ and the works of the law. Paul's gospel, the gospel, is an antithesis. It is by faith, therefore not by law, not by works. And so this is what Paul is telling us right here in verse 16. Now, let's just kind of go over the structure of what follows, but we're not going to go in there the rest of our time this week. Is there was some confusing things says in verse 17 and 18, huh? What's going on is this. In verses 17 and 18, Paul is answering, and I'll explain next week why, how, he's answering a charge, an accusation uh, that he has faced when he preaches the gospel of justification by faith alone. He's, he answers this charge also in the book of Romans in a different way. And the charge is what? The charge is simply this. If, if what you say, you, you keep on saying that people do not need to keep the law of God in order to be justified, then people are just going to go on sinning. Why live righteously if they can be justified without obedience to the law? And so Paul answers that negatively in verses 17 and 18. And then he answers it positively in verses 19 through 20 where he says there, he says something very important, and what he says in in essence is this, he says, not only did Christ do something for me, and therefore I'm justified, but Christ now lives in me, and therefore, no, I don't just go on wantingly sinning. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And so Paul, We'll develop that in verses 20, uh, 19 and 20. And then verse 21, we'll get back to that you know, next time. Or, uh, in verse 21, he closes with a final summary reason, a summary reason for why justification cannot be by works. This is what he says, last half of verse 21. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That's his closing statement. (laughs) He says, on top of everything else, if we could be justified through the works of the law, then my goodness, why did the Son of God come and die? (laughs) He died to no end at all, you see. But he died because that was the only way for us to be justified. And that's what Paul goes on to say and to develop. So what do we, I want to do for the rest of our time today is just develop each of those phrases, those statements to make sure we have a clear understanding as we move forward in the book of Galatians. We're going to talk about what justification means. We're going to talk about by, by what he means by not through the works of the law and then what he means by through faith in Christ, okay? Justification, what is it? Uh, Justification is a very important word. It's used some 45 times in the Bible. It's used eight times here in the book of Galatians, three times right here in these verses. 
Justification, as Paul uses it, is a, is a legal term. It, he borrows it from the courtroom. Justification is a legal declaration, meaning to be declared righteous. And in the faith, it means to be declared righteous before God. So justification is a declaration. If you want to understand it this way, justification is the exact opposite of condemnation. To condemn someone is, to, is for the judge to say you are guilty. To be justified is to be declared just, righteous. It's a verdict from a judge. The judge doesn't make people more righteous. He declares them righteous. It's a verdict. And so to be justified before God is not to have become a better person, is to have been declared righteous by the holy God, is to receive the judge's verdict. And I, to be justified by faith is a once for all declaration. Once for all, it is not a process. There are no steps <laughs> towards being justified. You know, the church I came from taught that, right? That's the tradition in the Roman Catholic Church. God is infusing you with grace so that you could become more and more righteous. Maybe someday you'll be justified. And Paul says, that's not it. <laughs> Justification is a verdict. And you and I, if you're a Christian, you are righteous in the eyes of God, perfectly. Even though you sin. And you will never be more justified than you are right now. And you'll never be any less justified than you are right now. Because the judge has declared you righteous. He's not measuring whether you are righteous. Or to what degree you are righteous. He, is, he has declared you righteous in his courtroom. That is a complete, once for all, unchangeable, unalterable verdict from the living God, you see. Now, Jewish teachers in Paul's day also believed in justification, the judge's verdict, but they believed that, that the, the verdict would be announced exclusively on the last day. On the last day when God judges the universe and humanity, what God would do is he was gonna justify the Jews, his, his chosen people, and he would judge his enemies, the Gentiles. That's what the Jewish rabbis were teaching in the day of Paul. But Paul says, it's very different. Paul says he learned this gospel from Christ. He says this, is that the verdict of the last day is brought is brought to the present day through faith in Jesus Christ. It, you, know, you can know today what the verdict on the last day is gonna be. And Paul still believed there was a last day coming, but that would simply affirm the verdict that's already been given to you in the gospel. It was a vindication of the fact that you, you were justified in your life when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul preached, you see. Uh, it could be known now, and that is the key to living under the gospel. Uh, you know well the verse, uh, Romans 5.1, right? Therefore, having been justified by faith. You hear the past tense there, right? Having been, not will be, trying to be, might be, maybe will be. No, Paul says, therefore, having been, that's, that's a tense that implies something that's completed in the past. Having been justified by faith, we have present tense peace with God right now. I'm at peace with God. God's at peace with me even though he knows I still sin, you say. And Paul in Romans 8, 1, after, as he concludes Romans chapter 7, where he describes his own struggle with the fact that he still sins and he feels like a wretched person sometimes and he's, you know, he knows better and yet he does wrong things. You ever felt like that? Good, you're honest, okay. <laughs> he says, who's gonna save me from this wretched life? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I need to know the verdict of the last day right now because I have some days where I'm wondering about the verdict, <laughs> where I'm wondering, could I really be righteous? And then he's reminded, well, it wasn't you who was righteous to begin with. <laughs> it was him. And that's why there's no condemnation for you, not because of how good you've been last week, <laughs> but because of how Christ lived for you. You see, and Paul says, I need to live with that. You need to live with that. And so that's justification. This is the gospel. Listen, God wants you to know, if you don't know this already, God wants you to know that you can have peace and rest right now with this knowledge that the verdict on the last day will be positive, that it will be good in your favor. He wants you to know that you can live with that peace right now if you will, but what? But trust his son, trust his righteousness, not yours. And admit, it's not by works. It's only by faith in Christ and what he has achieved, you see. He wants you to live with that kind of peace. Enjoy that right standing right now. Romans 4, 5, Paul says an astounding thing. Go to this verse once in a while and just reflect on it, okay? Say, God justifies the ungodly. <sighs> Did you hear that clearly? Okay. Because I grew up, I grew up in my mind, I grew up in my mind and my conscience thinking God justifies the good people. God justifies those who live better than those right over there. Sorry, not you guys, but you know, you know, <laughs> in general guys. <laughs> God justifies the religious. God justifies those who go to church. God justifies those who always look like they got it together. No, 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 no. God, what's it say, Romans 4, 5? God justifies the ungodly. And we quoted from Romans together that he does it in a way that he is still just. In other words, he remains just. He did it in a righteous way. And he's the justifier. He's the justifier, the one who has faith in Christ. God justifies the ungodly. That is you and me. Good news, you qualify. <laughs> you can be justified. Your works will never justify you. So stop trying. Church attendance, your goodness, praying, reading, outdoing your neighbors in, in good deeds. Your works will never justify you. But Christ can. He can fully justify you, you see. That's the gospel. Now, what about the need for justification? It's quite simple. Let me just sum it up. God is righteous. We are not. That's it. Why do I need just to be justified? Because God is just, and I'm not. And so it starts there with, with accepting who I am. It was Thomas Watson, the Puritan, who said, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And that's what Paul is saying when he, when he says, we know, we know, <laughs> Peter, you and I know that we could have never kept the law of God perfect enough. And I had to come to a point one day when I realized all that was rubbish. And I am a sinner too. And even we Jews need to be justified by someone else other than our behavior, because we will never measure up, you see. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Why do I need to be justified? Because I need my sin and my sinfulness, my guilty record, I need it wholly and entirely removed. I need it wiped off the table forever, and then I need more. I need a positive righteousness. I need what? I need the record of a glad and sinless obedience to God that honored the Father. I never did that. I never will. But Christ did. And so I need that gone. That's why I need to be justified. Now how am I justified? Negatively, he says, not by works of the law. And just like everything else that has to do with important matters in the Bible, these words are debated to no end. 
What does Paul mean by works and what's he mean by by and uh, which works of the law and uh, which law and on and on and on. There's stacks of books I can show you that are written on these phrases. You know. What does Paul mean by not by works of the law? Well, let me say to you that con- uh, conservative scholars such as ourselves and who embrace the gospel they generally all agree that basically he's talking about doing what the Mosaic law commands. Doing what the Mosaic law commands. And then they discuss, well, which commandments of, 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 of the law was he talking about? And there's a group who believes that oh, Paul was only talking about, and, and so were the, the Judaizers, they were only talking about those external markers uh, that labeled you a Jew. You know, like what? Like keeping the Sabbath and certain dietary laws, food laws and cleansing laws and, 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 and circumcision if you were a male, that he was talking, they were only talking about that. And so there is a group that teaches that, that that's all he was talking about. And why would they say that? Well, because that was the flashpoint, wasn't it, in Antioch? Circumcision. He mentions it over and over. But Paul understands that that's just the tip of the iceberg. That might be the flashpoint. But you can't divide the law of God up like that. If you're going to keep the law as a way of getting right before God, you have to keep all the law. God doesn't just say, well, this is good, that's good. Ah, Between you and me, we'll wipe that out, okay, yeah. No, 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 you have to keep all the law of God, not just even the Ten Commandments, but all the commandments of God. And Paul drives that home in this letter, Galatians 3.10. All who rely on works of the law are under curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. It's clear, Paul says. It's all the law that they were saying you need to keep. And that's, if, you, if that's your system, then you have to keep it all. Chapter 5, verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. James the brother of the Lord Jesus, James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, one time, one day, <laughs> he says he has become guilty of all of it. All of it. Because the law is what? You sh- summed up as you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The minute you break one commandment, you didn't do that. That's the law, really. The law is like a pane of glass, a window. You, 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 you crack the corner, you broke the window. It's done. And so that's what is meant by works of the law. And Paul says that that's, where the, that's how he used to live and that's how, that's how the Jewish world was living around him. And even now, the Jewish Christians were trying to bring that back in, which is what? Trying to earn a righteousness by, by obeying the law of Moses. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, Paul says this, he says... Uh, being ignorant of the righteousness of God. What does he mean by that? Being ignorant, not realizing. He's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters. He says, being ignorant of the righteousness that God gives us by faith in Christ. They were ignorant of that. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. He's saying when Jesus came and he was raised from the dead, they largely did not accept him as the righteousness they need because they were trying to build up their own righteousness under the law. Paul says that's ignorance. Paul lived there too, you know. And that's the definition of all human religions. What? Trying to measure up. Do, do, and be accepted. Um, But that's utterly impossible. We have all failed to keep the law of God. And Paul 
drives that home here. He drives it home in the book of Romans. And what Paul does here very subtly, I'll say more about this another time, is he quotes really from Psalm 143, verse 2, and he, um, he modifies it a tiny little bit uh, to put it into his context. And what is Psalm 143? Well, first of all, it's a Psalm of David, and it is a confession of David, and it is an old covenant statement from the past, before Jesus, right? What does Psalm 143 say? I'll read verse 1 and 2. Psalm 143, this is David, and David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. Verse 2, enter not into judgment with your servant. Here it is, for no one living is righteous before you. Who said that? David. Who was David? A man after God's own heart. But David knew that his Sabbath keeping, his circumcision, his kosher diet, his going to temple, none of those things would justify him. And so he said, God, give me your mercy. I need mercy, not justice. For no one living is righteous before you and that's where it starts again I go back to Thomas Watson till sin be bitter Christ will not be sweet it's not by works of any kind that we can somehow merit a righteousness that qualifies us to be accepted by the perfectly righteous God David understood that and so he was saying in essence oh God justify me cleanse me with your mercy because there's no one righteous before you. So then how are we justified? If it's not through works, because our righteousness will never measure up, Paul says here, it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is the vehicle here. Now, I, I don't, again, I don't know what some of your translations say in some of your study Bibles that you may have, or may, you might have a footnote or a marginal note, and it'll say there, uh, it'll say there uh, about Galatians, uh, verse 16, that it could be translated through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if, you're, if you're, your publisher has that, but that is a viable translation of the original Greek Manuscript there. It can be translated through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That's a fair translation. You know, in other words, what Paul would be saying is he's debating the basis. He's saying it's not on the basis of our works and our faithfulness, but it's on the basisness of the faithfulness of Jesus who did fulfill the law of God. But the traditional understanding, I think how ESV is translated and others, I think is the better one, that, and which again is just, it's just as viable to translate it this way. It's our faith in Jesus Christ because Paul returns to this phraseology throughout Galatians and he also does in Romans, you see. And so Paul is here not talking about the basis, but the means, the means. How am I justified before God? Here's the means. Through my faith in Jesus Christ. Now elsewhere Paul says that faith we have is a gift from God. But the point is that faith in Christ Jesus is what Paul is saying here. Faith is an empty hand, we said. It is not a work. It's not a deed, it's not an exercise. The faith that lays hold of Christ is laying hold of the one who has wiped away our sin and guilt by satisfying God's justice on the cross and who who is himself a perfectly righteous, sinless person who, who gave his glad obedience to the Father on our behalf. And so he is the sacrifice that atones and he is my perfect righteousness. Paul says he has become to us the righteousness of God. And so faith lays hold of a person 
That person is a person who suffered in our place for our guilt, and that person is a person who surrendered a glad obedience to the Father to honor the Father and glorify Him the way we're supposed to, but we don't. He fulfills all that is required of the law, both its punishments, its consequences, and its demands for righteousness. He does both on our behalf. And faith merely lays hold of Him. And as faith lays hold of Him, God credits to your faith. On the basis of faith, He credits, He he imputes to you the sacrifice and the righteousness of His Son. So from that moment on, when God looks at you, Christian, He sees His Son. He sees sin atoned for, and he says he sees righteousness uh, in, in his eyes. It's a glorious thing that God has done, isn't it? This is just, it is a glorious thing. This is what God has done. Look what God has done to, to bring a people into his own presence and to dwell in their midst as their father. It's all his work. It's finished. Now that's why verse 17 and 18, we'll get to them later. That's why why that follows, which is what? How can this be? All this will do was lead people to sin, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, it was Martin Lloyd-Jones, that great preacher who said, if no one ever says anything like that to you when you share the gospel, you may have not been clear about just how free salvation is unless they bring that charge. How can this be? So Paul will address that next week. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter three as he reflects on the two different ways, the two different righteousness. The righteousness of our own through obedience to the law and the righteousness that God gives us through faith in Christ. Remember what Paul was doing in Philippians? He was was telling them in Philippians chapter 3, that they were to watch out for the same kind of people who were going around saying, no, 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 you, you can believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. He was saying that to the Gentile men. In other words, they are boasting in the law. And Paul says, verse 4, chapter 3 of Philippians, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Hey, you're going to brag about how Jewish you are? I'll out-Jew you. (laughs) (laughs) I could, says Paul. Uh, How? How could you do it? He says, listen, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Everyone says, well, so were we. Of the people of Israel, that's us. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Hmm, well, we're a different tribe. Hebrew of Hebrews. But as to the law, I was a Pharisee. I was an extreme zealot. Hmm. Nine-tenths of the crowd goes silent at that point. And then he says, yes, as to zeal, you want to know how zealous I was? I was a persecutor of the church. What did he do? Arrest Christians and put some to death. As to righteousness under the law, what is he saying? He's saying what people could publicly observe about me. What people could observe of me about my law-keeping, I was blameless. No one could bring a charge. But he says, whatever gain I had, all of that, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So you remember what Tony Arns said when he came and preached this a few months ago. He said, it used to all be in my gain column. my leisure of positive gain. You know, it was when I came to Christ, I realized all that belongs in the loss column <laughs> over here because it, what's it gained me before God? Absolutely nothing. Zero. Zilch. <laughs> Church attendance. Zilch. Giving money. Zilch. When it comes to being right before God, all of that belongs in the lost column. And so Paul says, indeed, verse 8, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. 
Dung is the word. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And here it is. Listen closely. He says, I want to be associated with Christ, connected to him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. What righteousness is that? The righteousness from God that depends on faith. The righteousness God demands from you and me, it's perfection, is the righteousness he gives. See, what he demands, he gives. We're saved from God, by God, through faith. It's by grace through faith that no man may boast. Scripture says, because God deserves all the glory. God saves sinners. What do we contribute? Our sin. <laughs> Our sin. What about my faith? By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift to God. Even our faith is a gift from God. As many as received him, John 1:12, to them. Even those who believe in his name, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You see? All the work is God's, you see. God wants you to know this. He wants you to understand the gospel. As a Christian, so you could... Be clear when you explain it to others and hopefully someday you hear a question, a, a comment like that can't be. And he also, as a Christian, he wants you to live under it. There was a Puritan pastor named John, uh, John Bunyan and he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, right? And he also wrote other books like Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And, and um, John Bunyan was somewhat like Martin Luther in the sense that he would wrestle with his he would wrestle with himself, you know what I mean? He, he would come to those moments where I think all of us come at some times where you had such a bad time, you know you were thinking wrong, you know you did wrong, and you're wondering, how come I, am I really a Christian? He says he was, he was walking one day and he was feeling like that. He was morose. He was, he was morose because he was thinking, where's my, where's the, where's my righteousness? This is what he wrote. He says, one day as I was passing into the field, and he was feeling like that, suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. And I thought that I could, I could almost see Jesus Christ at God's right hand. Yes, there indeed was my righteousness, so that wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say about me, that I do not have righteousness, for it was standing right before him. <laughs> I also saw that it was not my good feelings that made my righteousness better, and that my bad feelings did not make my righteousness worse. <laughs> for my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, and he quotes Hebrews, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. <laughs> he says now, Indeed, my chains fell off my legs. And I was loosened from my afflictions and my irons. And my temptations also fled away so that from that time forward, those dreadful scriptures that terrified me, terrified me no more. I went home rejoicing because of the grace and love of God. Skipping down, he says, I lived here, meaning I lived in this state of mind. I lived here sweetly at peace with God through Christ for a long time. He says, there was nothing but Christ before my eyes. God wants you to know, and he wants you to trust that your righteousness, the righteousness you need to be vindicated, cleansed, forgiven, and accepted is at, is at his right hand. It is Christ Jesus. Learn to live with that in your conscience and you'll enjoy the peace he's talking about here. That your, your good days or your bad days, neither one changes your justification. 
because your righteousness is in Christ. This will also, I think, help you if you're a Christian to not fall back into those old ways of judging yourself and others on the basis of Jesus plus something else makes you special. Because when you start thinking about others like that, you are not living under the gospel. And if you were to continue on that, you're judging people because these are Christians, but they don't, they don't read the Bible as much as you do. They don't go to all the Bible studies you do. They don't talk about memorizing scripture like you do. They don't pray as long as you do. They don't, they don't have the same political heroes that you do, and you continue to somehow see yourself as better than them. If Paul were here, he'd stand in front of you and say, you stand condemned because you're a hypocrite. Because you say, all I need is faith in Christ. But then the way you live and you judge others, you have to tell me something else, you see. Mm. So the gospel will help you in your relationships with people. Remember, religion is all about what we do for God. The gospel is all about what God has done for us. And he deserves the glory and the praise. Let's Pray and finish our time together. Our glorious...